Our first reading this morning is Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of God. In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net that is hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever gotten in your car to go to work or the store and then you arrive there and you think, how did I get here? I don't remember passing anything. I don't remember if I actually stopped at the stoplights that I was supposed to. You just went through the motions of driving. It's kind of scary if you think about it. And sometimes I find myself doing this with the Lord's Prayer. So it's often either Stacy or Claire that are the ones that are leading this Lord's Prayer. And they say, and we pray the way your son taught us to pray, our Father. And then before I know what's next, I've said, Amen. And I haven't necessarily paid attention to what's in between. I've just gone through the motions of that prayer. It's so easy in the midst of our lives to lose focus, to have our priorities get out of whack, and to do things without intention. This Lent, though, we have been studying intentionally the disciplines of our faith. We have been practicing them together as we study on Sunday mornings and in our praxis groups. And this will continue even in the midst of our social distancing protocols. What we're wanting to do is to encourage all of us to be intentional about the way that we practice our faith, to not make it something that we just go through the motions. And so today, we are going to take a deep look at prayer. And what we're going to do is just model the way that Jesus taught us to pray. We're going to break it apart a few verses at a time. I'm going to read the whole thing through first. Jesus said, pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This too is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So there are four components to this prayer as I see it. Praise, present, past, and potential problems. First, is praise. Jesus begins with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus begins this prayer with a claim on the life of the one who prays it. 
It is our father. Jesus could have said, my father. Jesus could have said, your father. But here, Jesus says, ours. 20th century theologian Karl Barth says that when Jesus says our, it presupposes for then and all time and us. Jesus Christ invites, permits, and commands us to join him, especially when he prays to God the Father. It's as if Jesus is saying to each of us, pull up a chair, come sit at the dinner table. We are going to pray to the Father together. You see, when Jesus says our Father, it means we are part of a community of saints already. It means that in a mysterious way, we are an hour. We are with God and with others, we are not alone. How would our prayers be different if we approached them considering Jesus was praying them right with us? What might we claim if we believed that we were not alone when we pray, but we actually have the savior of the world praying on behalf with us. Jesus says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed in Greek is the word hagiastheto, and it means to be set apart or holy. Therefore, to say that God is hallowed, it means that we affirm right at the beginning of the prayer, that God is set apart. God is the only one that is God. Not humanity, completely holy. In starting the prayer with this phrase, the prayer is put in our place. We are not God. So then we can begin to praise God for all that God is. When I thought about what we could do, in the everyday to just praise God for God's holiness, I realized the answer is so simple and yet so incredibly difficult. Because making God hallowed is really about making God a priority. Priority. It's taking time out of our everyday life to spend time with God in prayer. And you know, taking time out to do anything is easier than said than done. I wonder as you have been at home over the past week, if you have had great plans for organizing things, great plans for making connections with people who maybe you have been out of touch with over the past several months. I think one reason it is so difficult for us to set God apart is because the focus of our lives is me or or my kids or my pets. All of those things, they really like and crave being the focus of our lives. And this prayer challenges us to say all of those things, we love them, but it is time for us to prioritize our God, hallowed be your name. When we do this, we affirm God's holiness. It is only God that is perfect. It is only God that is all loving and all just, all at the same time. Only God has the ultimate control. How fitting that the prayer continues with the affirmation of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want us to take the next moments and praise God 
for the way that God is set apart and unique, all-powerful and all-knowing. Grab your piece of paper and your pen and write a prayer of praise to God for all the ways that God is holy. And if you are at home with others, I want you to, after you write it down, I want you to share it with one another. Jesus begins with a prayer of praise. And then he asks us to consider our present. Give us each day our daily bread. The next section focuses on how we ask for our daily needs. Not our daily wants. Consider the crowd that Jesus is sharing this with. Remember, we're in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount here. The average person listening to his sermon in first century Israel and Palestine was a peasant, part of an agricultural society. If the weather was poor, bread was scarce. If the rains were good, they had a good harvest. But even then, all of the people were subject to a heavy tax by Rome. Jesus is telling a crowd to pray for their daily bread because y'all, their daily bread was not guaranteed. We were able to go on this mini vacation last week. We would finish a meal, and I'm not kidding, it was a full meal. And then within the next 30 minutes, one of my boys would say, I'm hungry. Or what are we having for the next meal? Or can we go to Starbucks? This attitude of consumption is not just from teenage boys. Do you remember the story of the Israelites when they have been set free from slavery? They're wandering in the wilderness and they begin to complain to Moses of how hungry they are. And Jesus, God provides for them manna. And Moses gives them strict rules around the manna that there will be enough so that all may eat until they are satisfied. But do not take more than you need. If you do, it will spoil and have worms. And of course, what do the Israelites do? Some of them take too much. And in the morning when they wake up, it is filled with worms and it has rotted. Not bread for tomorrow, not bread for next week, daily bread. It seems silly for us to pray this in the present. And yet, I think all of us have experienced more concern for our daily bread this past week. We have gone to the grocery four days in a row because we are completely out of flour. How ironic, there is no flour to buy. In light of this prayer in the midst of COVID-19, How might we, as followers of Christ, shop for food differently, consume our food differently, give thanks for the food that we have differently? Notice that Jesus uses our 
again here. It's our daily bread. The bread of necessity is collective. When we pray to God for our daily needs, it's not just about me and my family. It is a prayer for the community. And while the Wright family doesn't need to pray for food today, I am aware that there are people in this community who need me to pray that their daily bread comes to them. With schools closed, hundreds of thousands of children and students do not get their breakfast or their lunches. Even if the school is providing them, they don't have a transportation to get there. How might we use the food that we already have in our pantries and fridges, deep freezers, garages, and storage closets? How might we need to put this part of the prayer into action? Not just by avoiding hoarding and stockpiling food, but by checking in on our neighbors or donating some of our food that maybe we've overbought to Manos de Cristo or to the Central Texas Food Bank, both who are in need. Let's take time now to consider what each of us needs to do today to pray and act to give us this day our daily bread. Write down your response for today. Jesus has us pray for praising God for our present. And then third, we have our past. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The word that Jesus uses here, it is an economic one. It has an economic connotation. It means something that one owes to another. The literal connotation is that you have lent something to someone else and therefore you have a debt owed to that person, whether it be money or sheep or grain. However, when we think about the metaphorical meaning of debt here, what are those things that we need to ask forgiveness for? Where are those places where we might owe others an apology? Especially, where have we sinned and disobeyed God? You know, God knows that sin is an everyday struggle for us, but that doesn't mean that we get to put it aside or cover it up. Jesus includes this petition intentionally as part of his teaching for the very reason that we must seek forgiveness for the wrong that we do. This is one of the things that followers of Christ do. And not only that, but just as we ask for forgiveness from God, we must also forgive others for the wrong they do to us. What was so troubling about this phrase for me is that the word used is indebted in the second part of the phrase. It means that the people that we are supposed to be forgiving are those that still have a debt against us. These are not the easy people to forgive. These are not the ones that have already said, I'm sorry. These are the very ones that will never say, I'm sorry. And Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. What's so amazing and astounding and reckless of God is that just as we are to forgive those that are indebted to us, God desires to forgive us because we 
are indebted to God. We are those very ones who do not say sorry all the time. We are those very ones who do, very ones who do wrong but don't realize it. And yet we are the very ones who God says, come, approach me. I will always offer to you forgiveness. So for today, friends, what do we need to ask God to forgive us for? Take time and write that down. Praise, present, past, and what I'm calling potential problems. Jesus says, lead us not into a time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. When Jesus says this, I wondered, does that mean if I actually pray this and really believe it, that I won't have a time of trial? As much as I would like for this to be true, we know that it isn't. Praying for God to lead us not into trials or temptations means that we are praying for God's strength and discipline to be ready for whatever trials and temptations come at us. Think about your weakness. Whatever your weakness is, are you critical of others? Do you struggle with telling the truth? Is it a common thing for you to cheat or to lie? Do you find yourself jealous often, wanting more and more things? Is it your pride keeping you from admitting you have a weakness at all? Whatever your weakness is, God doesn't want you to write it off and say, yep, that's the weakness that I have in my life. And so I guess for that thing, I'm allowed to continue to fail. No, we are to pray daily for God to lead us not into a trial with the hope that the next time that our ugly an embarrassing weakness, it creeps up and tempts us. We are ready and we are able to be led away because that's the key word in this part of the phrase. Jesus says, lead us. In other words, you, God, lead us. Take the wheel of my life, God, with you leading me. I will be less likely to give in to those trials or temptations. I will reach a greater destination. Lead us, Lord God. Take time to consider where you need God to lead you right now. What potential problems might pop up that you want God to be leading you through? Lead me. This week, all of us are going to be doing life differently than we did last month, even last week. One of the hallmarks of the community of Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church is that we are a praying community. We pray for one another. We pray for our city. We pray for our world. 
Let's practice our faith intentionally this week by praying the way our Lord taught us to pray. Praise our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Present. Give us this day our daily bread. Past. And forgive us our debts and we also have, as we have forgiven our debtors. And then potential problems. Lead us not into a time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Friends, may it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.